Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Great to see you all. Yeah, so today um, I wanted to chat about shamatha, um, calm abiding practice. So this past month, we have been going over, or we went over the Four Noble Truths. And, you know, I thought this was a natural step. So when we kind of speak about the Four Noble Truths, you know, the, the truth of uh, the existence of suffering, you know, the cause of suffering, uh, the cessation of, of suffering and, and in the path, you know, these are, uh, these are things to be experienced uh, experientially. So we also spoke about the insights, you know, to each of these, these four noble truths, basically stating the truth. So the truth of, let's say, suffering that it should be understood and that it has been understood. Uh, the truth um, of, of, you know, the cause of suffering through attachment. It, it should be understood. It has been understood. So this understanding ultimately comes through, comes through insight, comes through practice, comes through meditation. And for these insights to arise, the first thing we want to work on is the stability of mind, which is, which is the shamatha practice, um, stability, allowing the mind to be, um, to be focused or training the mind to be focused. And this is, uh, you know, the real basics, right? When we look at the shamatha practice, we could say, this is like basic meditation. And it's true. Uh, fundamental basic meditation which of course there's no such thing like everything is so profound, right? Like the Four Noble Truths are very, you know, very foundational in, in the practice and you know, extremely profound. Same thing with shamatha meditation, calm abiding meditation, uh, very foundational, very, very, very important because it's literally the base of everything else that we do. If the mind is not trained to be, to be focused, well then really not much we could do uh, with any uh, of the other practices. With that said, coming up with what I want to share today, um, you know, kind of thought about the fundamentals and kind of going over that, which it, as far as instruction goes, it's very simple, you know, allowing the mind to come back to an object. Um, so what I put together was uh, just some, some points that are really fun to emphasize. And uh, so after looking at my notes, I see that it's kind of, they're kind of all over the place. <laughs> so kind of bear with me, but they're little nuggets that over the years, I have really, uh, that have really assisted me in, in just, uh, you know, adding to my practice and inspiring me on my practice and, and really allowing uh, the practice of shamatha kind of kind of come al alive. So I'm just kind of kind of go through some of these some of these points, and hopefully that they're helpful for you as well. And I'm going to utilize the chat box quite a bit. And if you are listening to this talk afterwards, or if you want to come back to this, um, 
I'm going to make a blog post with these notes. I, I realize um, I'm utilizing the chat box more and more. And if people come back to the talks, they're not going to have access to that. So within about 48 hours or so, I'm going to put these notes uh, into a blog. And so you can go to my website, kchow.com, and just, just uh, search shamatha meditation. That's, I'll, I'll name the blog post that. Um, first, the shamatha versus vipassana. So this is Alan Wallace, um, Vajra Essence, Jujun Lingpa uh, commentary. It's, um, you know, from, from this book. So when you talk about shamatha in Pali, they don't have the H, by the way, like Sanskrit or, um, you know, Tibetan shamatha. You might see samatha. That's more the Pali translation. And then versus Vipassana, which is the insight piece. This is the first thing I get this, this question asked a lot. Like, what's the difference between calm abiding practice and Vipassana? So I'll just kind of read this here. Shamatha meditation, which is training the mind to stay or rest wherever we place it, such as on the breath. Shamatha meditation, which is training the mind to stay or rest wherever we place it, such as on the breath. It doesn't really make sense, this next thing. but And there is Vipassana meditation, uh, which it says with is, which is actually discerning the nature of reality. And then there is Mahamuja meditation, which is looking directly at mind to see its inherent emptiness and the emptiness of outside phenomena. Mahamudra, the primary meditation of the Kagyu lineage can only be done when Shamatha and Vipassana meditation uh, have been thoroughly mastered. So, so these are, this is actually all three. So this is Shamatha meditation, training the mind to be at rest. So uh, wherever we place it, um, it, could, it can become stable. Vipassana is actually discerning the nature of reality. So kind of go, going back to uh, the Four Noble Truths, the Four Noble Truths are basically understanding, having right view of the nature of reality. So this is the insight piece. This is really where the wisdom comes from. This is where the cessation of suffering comes from. But again, we need that stability first, right? And then he's moving into Mahamudra, which is more of a Vajrayana concept of looking directly at the mind. Mahamudra is the same as Dzogchen. You might have heard you know, both of these uh, styles of practice. So this is looking directly at the mind to see its inherent emptiness and the emptiness of outside phenomena. So this is really the root of um, cutting the root of suffering, right? Right at, right at its core. So, and again, the basis of all of this is, is shamatha practice, right? The stabilization of mind. So, so crucial. Um, one of the oldest translations of meditations to become familiar with. I always like to remember this to become familiar with. And what are we becoming familiar with? Ultimately, like we start out becoming familiar with the, with outside phenomena, the nature of, of phenomena, uh, the impermanence of phenomena, the emptiness. And then of course, ultimately we want to know ourselves, right? Become familiar with what are we becoming familiar with ourselves? How do we become familiar with ourselves? Well, we have to become stable the mind has become stable enough to actually witness itself. 
Right? So this is you know pointing to turning the mind on the mind in Mahamudra. So this is another quote from Alan Wallace. I'll put in here. So this is the next piece and he's just pointing to wanting to skip ahead. And I've spent a lot of time skipping ahead, <laughs> wanting like other practices and whatnot. And, you know, because, you know, simple, Calm body meditation, yeah, it's a, it can be, you know, quote unquote boring. We could be, when we look at the meditations to do, we might want to skip ahead into, um, you know, these, these kind of deeper practices or more elaborate practices. So Alan Wallace is saying, it seems that nearly everyone is in a mad rush to ascend to more advanced forms of meditation without noticing that the mind they are depending on for this is heavily prone to alternating laxity and excitation, so being dull or excited. In traditional Buddhist texts, such, uh, such an attentionality imbalanced mind is considered dysfunctional and is unreasonable to think that such a mind can effectively enter into meditations designed to sever mental afflictions at their roots. Although you can practice more advanced meditations without first achieving shamatha, you are bound to hit a plateau and then stagnate in your practice without recognizing that it is, that it is failing to do, um, that it is failing due to insufficient preparation and first refining attention. <clears throat> this is crucial because when we hit that plateau, um, you know, we realize that uh, maybe we like we failed, like we're not good at this, blah blah blah, and and it's really due to this, you know, passing up this this first piece, right, of of uh, basic attention. So Alan Wallace has this amazing book that you know, of course, my camera is going to flip it here, uh, but it's called the Attention Revolution, and uh, you know, he goes through the nine stages of concentration, which I'm going to list here but he does so in an in incredible detail. Um, this, is, this is a book, it, you know, as a practitioner, I think kind of belongs on all of our bookshelves. Uh, there's so, so many texts on, on the mindfulness side of things, but on the concentration attention piece, not so much. So this is a, a, an amazing, amazing book um, on attention. So. Yeah, we definitely this piece intact. So I'm going to actually go through the what they call the five experiences. This is a in, in a way for me a summary of the nine levels of stability in meditation, um, and they're kind of inspiring. I find kind of inspiring too. Um, just to recall, this is something that you can kind of like copy and paste and and kind of put somewhere in your, in your notes, you know, as you're, as you're practicing for motivation, the five experiences are, are speaking of, of how the mind is, is slowly moving into cohesiveness um, and, and unification. I'll just kind of read them. 
it's an analogy of, a, of water, five experiences. The five experiences are the experience of movement, so movement in the mind, that is like a rushing mountain stream. The experience of attainment, so the next one, the experience of attainment, that is like a river flowing in a narrow gorge, so it's slowing down. The experience of familiarity, that is like the gentle flow of a great river slowing down. The experience of stability that is like a lake undulating under a breeze and the experience of perfection that is like a great lake free from waves. So he's using here, he's using the analogy of, of water slowing. And, you know, this is kind of like uh, all the aspects of mind and movement and agitation. It could be like the flowing of thoughts. It could also be the agitation, just the pure agitation of the mind. Um, and then noticing that the mind slowly becomes more and more stable, uh, more tranquility is introduced to the mind, more calm is introduced to the mind, right? So this is this the, the analogy. This is something that we can kind of look forward to, but also look a little bit as um, as a ways to uh, as a way to quantify how our mind is. We know we need more stability practice if our mind is always like a rushing mountain, uh, rushing mountain stream. <laughs> like every time we sit down, like it's always like this. It's, and it's not, it's not something to feel bad about, right? Like even if we're longtime practitioners, the mind will sometimes be like this, but it's kind of like what I've noticed in time. It's kind of like uh, being in shape where, you know, if you feel like you're in pretty good shape, you recover quicker. Right. So like, you know, maybe you're maybe you're out of breath, but you can recover quicker. So when the mind is moving towards stability, when you sit down to practice, it might be volatile, but it is quicker to tame, right? which, is the, which is another word for stability that you hear a lot in the text, which is taming the mind. Right. The mind is, is tame. So. Even when it, the mind feels wild, we have learned how to tame the mind fairly quickly. So this is this is another way to kind of quantify uh, how the mind is doing, which is also in the nine stages of concentration, which I'm going to put in next. Right, so we can kind of see, you know, how is our mind doing? Um, Yeah, so with this said, I'm just kind of going to put this in here. So if we do find that the mind is continuously just volatile, you know, starting with like an open-eyed practice of just a simple resting your gaze on external fixed object um, is just really, really good. Just like a small Buddha statue or something like this, kind of going back to square one and just allowing the the, the eyes to gaze for a few minutes at a time, just on an external fixed object. So this would be the antidote. This would be like one quick antidote saying, hey, my mind is just very volatile all the time these days. I'm gonna go back to square one, right?
Okay, so now let me paste this whole thing at once. So give me a moment. Okay, I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys, but um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you're finding it beneficial. So the nine levels of stability uh, of meditation. Again, this is this is really wonderful. Uh, and again, just to understand, you know, the different the different levels of where the mind can be. And I really enjoy I really enjoy the Tibetans. Uh, level of detail, <laughs> looking at the mind, you know, it's like, wow, it's really amazing. And I, I want to say here, because when we, when we read through these, it could be like, wow, my mind's never going to be like this. <laughs> um, I had a, a, a dear friend uh, that I lived with off and on when I was living at the centers and, you know, he was a monk and he went away, I think it was a full, about a year, he went away to, um, in, into retreat. So Lama Zopa put him into retreat and, and he got instructions to do Kama Bhadi meditation, like fully. Um, so he was able to do that for about a year. And um, he came back and he said, Casey, I got to make maybe number four. <laughs> you know, I was about at four. You know, and and I think the important piece to note it is that we don't not, we don't need to be at nine, you know, to, to have vipassana, to, you know, to have a really good insight. We're not looking for perfect samadhi, you know, every time. We're working towards these stages. We do not need perfect concentration for insight. We need really good concentration. We need we need good stability. Right. So don't be discouraged. You know, this is just um, just just signposts uh, along the way. So the, the first one is resting the mind. One places one's mind on object for a brief duration. So this is where we where we are most of the time for a really brief duration and the mind takes off. And the second one is resting the mind longer. One places one's mind on an object and it wanders and then one places it back again on the object. This seems very, you know, simple, but honestly, as probably all of you know, who are, you know, uh, meditators already, most people don't understand this piece. Um, most people think they can't meditate because they don't understand that meditation is not sustained voluntary attention. It's the, the attempt towards sustained voluntary attention. They think, oh, I can't meditate. My mind is not always on an object. It wanders all the time. Um, that's, that's meditation, resting the mind, then the mind leaves and then the mind comes back, right? So this second instruction is actually quite nice to just normalize that our mind is on an object and then it wanders and then we come back, right? That's, that's how it is in the beginning. I probably won't go through all of these. We just want to go through just a, a few of them. Um, continuously resettling the mind one keeps placing one's mind but there is a 
but there are still thoughts such as this is important or I like this, which prevent complete placement. This is what I call commentary. And this question I get a lot too, which is there's, there's commentary on the instruction. So we're meditating, but then we're actually part of the meditation is remembering the meditation, remembering how to do the meditation, remembering our teachers, remember the instruction and, and also commentating on my mind is calm. My mind is not so calm. Maybe I should bring in this antidote. You know, maybe I should do this or that. There's all that commentary on the actual meditation that comes in. This will settle down. It's just like if we're starting something new, like learning how to drive a car, right? We learn how to drive a car and you're thinking about everything, right? And then eventually you're, you're not thinking about any, anything. You're just doing it. And, and I've seen, at least for, for myself, this has happened over and over and over again in my practice um, when I've attempted new quote unquote levels of the practice, like into, into non-dualism, into resting in the natural state of awareness, like, am I doing it right? Still creeps in. Like, you know, all these really subtle instructions of non-doing, uh, of just being, you know, like there's all this commentary on on, on, on these things. And then eventually if you, you do it enough, the mind becomes fatigued with, you know, trying to figure it out and you just start to trust like, Oh, I'm just here. You know, I'm just doing the practice. If you're meditating on the breath, just meditate on the breath. You don't need to think about meditating on the breath, you know, and, and those thoughts will come. And at some point you're going to stop following them. And it's okay if they come, the commentary come, comes, let the commentary come, let the commentary go. Fine. Four stage, intensely settled mind. The mind appears to be vast and the thoughts appear only as small intrusions in the vast space. I want to make a quick note here that I encourage you to become familiar with these stages because they can appear in our meditations for short durations of time. And they are important to note that, you know, for your own encouragement of the practice. So it's not like when you sit down to meditate, you know, which I thought, oh, I'm going to reach level seven. And every time I, I meditate, I'm going to be at level seven. <laughs> you know, and I'm, ne I'm never going to go back to number two. I'm just going to reach that, that stage. And so number four, for example, you know, many of us have felt this. The mind is vast, you know, and, and thoughts appear small where when we begin thoughts appear very, very big and, and there is no vastness, like, there, like thoughts can be all consuming, right? So when the mind is very, very big, which the mind is, when we're tapped into that clarity, then the phenomena become very small. When we're attached to phenomena and a subject object consciousness, then, then the contents of awareness seem very big, you know? And awareness is very small, right? 
<clears throat> so you could take note of this. Um, you know, number five is really nice taming the mind. Uh, this is actually one of the seven factors of awakening. One feels joy, enthusiasm, and relaxation in one's meditation. And so this is one of the seven factors of awakening is once we have mindfulness and investigation and we have, we have energy and we have you know, some sense, sense of stability, joy and rapture can arise. This joy and rapture comes because there is a, there is a negation of the hindrances so the hindrances of you know, attachment, aversion, dullness, agitation, worry, concern, doubt, they, there's a negation of them for a certain period of time where the true nature of mind can be experienced. And when the true nature of mind is experienced, even for you know, a short amount of time, there's a naturally arising occurrence of, of joy and rapture to be experienced, enthusiasm. Uh, this kind of this varia, you know, energy for the practice can be can be realized. So when we're noticing this, you know, afterwards and you know, practice, if we felt that, again, this is something that's really nice to come back to and just kind of jot down in your meditation journal. If you keep a journal, I recommend that. Saying, oh, okay, you know, I felt that. And then when things are not going so good, <laughs> you can kind of go back to that. And say, yeah, you know, I felt that for a short amount of time, right? Um, so he he goes on here, and you know, basically, there's just this this kind of basically what he's describing with these these nine you know stages is awareness becomes more stable, and and leaving awareness, you know, becomes uh, less of an experience, and so. Um, you know, continual placement. We have continual placement. There's a section, you know, where the mind is on the object, but thoughts are still going, right? But we never lose the object. And then, then of course, as we abandon that attachment to following thoughts, they subside on their own, right? So we don't, we don't, there's not a cessation of thoughts through force. It's just literally we're not turning towards them anymore, right? It's just it, awareness becomes our, our main focus. Um, so we're just abandoning, you know, the attention towards, towards the thoughts. Okay, so I do want us to break up into groups, but let me see if, um, if there's these other things. Oh yeah, I wanna. I do wanna just put this in here. So this is a fun little. This is a fun little thing that's fairly rare. Okay, Sarah said she needed to pop off. So yeah, great to have you. Um. So this is this is a very unique one. Changu Rinpoche 
who is this amazing scholar. You know, he is the scholarly teacher for the seventh Karmapa. And he has this profound, he's, he's known for this profound uh, way of describing these very deep principles in a, in a simple way. Um, my favorite book of Trangka Rinpoche is called Pointing Out the Dharmakaya, which is an, an insane manual of practice. But anyway, he, he talks about this really cool little uh, visualization to do, which, which assists with, or acts as an antidote, I should say, of, of two major hindrances of drowsiness and agitation. So he talks about um, to eliminate drowsiness in meditation is to imagine that there's an eight-petaled lotus. If you're a visualization type, this might be fun for you. <laughs> imagine that there's an eight-petaled lotus in our heart, which is facing upwards. Then we imagine there are very white, very bright, little light dots on the lotus. We send these white dots up to the top of our head at about the level of the hair. We should also straighten our body a little more and generally make it move a little upwards. To eliminate agitation in meditation, we should imagine a black lotus, which is turned upside down, facing downwards. In this lotus, we imagine a black dot and send it downwards to the ground. At the same time, we should relax our posture, letting the body stoop a little. So it's a fun little something that I personally have not found in, in many texts. Um, so if you want to try this out, and maybe you've tried other things when the mind is drowsy, I'm, I definitely am on the drowsy side people usually operate one or the other. Um, so I've done this and yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Just kind of something in your toolbox that you could, you could access, see if it works for you. So um, I want us to break up into groups and kind of chat about our own experiences, which what has helped us in your personal experience, um, you know, uh, with stability, or we can chat about what are our challenges. We could just, just come into a, a place of, um, you know, togetherness, because I know we all have challenges here. Like what are the challenges um, that you have faced in stabilizing the mind. And if there has been things that work for you, we could just share our, our knowledge uh, with, with each other, things that have worked for you uh, in, in allowing the mind to become uh, more stable. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.